You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by Honest Tea. We talk about authenticity a lot on this show, so check out Honest Tea's organic bottled teas today at honesttea.com forward slash podcast. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani. I am the host of The Overwhelmed Brain. I am a personal empowerment coach, and this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. That's you. (laughs) And if you don't think it's you, keep listening. Maybe you'll realize it is you. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on the show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you'll find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, we are at episode number... Where's the drum roll? 200. <laughs> that means that about three and a half, what's that, three, three, three quarter years ago, very long time ago, when I think about it now, I started this show, November 2013. And um, it's funny, just a little side story that really has nothing to do with personal growth, but maybe my own personal growth in the sense of how the show has grown. Uh, we started off at episode number Zero, 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 one. <laughs> I had high aspirations for making uh, at least a thousand episodes. Not by now, but in the future. You know, starting off at zero, 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 one allows me to reach, you know, those four allocated digits. <laughs> one thousand, and then two thousand, and then three thousand. So I figured if I made it to a thousand, then I've really put out the time, effort, energy, and all my knowledge or everything that I've learned in life, uh, everything I've learned in my own life, in my own dysfunctional past and healing past. It's that (laughs) yin-yang full of dysfunction, bad behavior, and then healing and good behavior, and then a mix in between. And then hopefully, at least uh, for the past, I don't know, seven, eight, ten years, I've been transforming all my behavior to good behavior. (laughs) So I'm still working on it all the time. I mean, good behavior in the sense of healthy behavior, good for me. And that's what I hope of you too. Like when you first tuned into this show, maybe you had some bad for you behavior. Maybe you had some behavior that you did in your life that wasn't healthy. That is what I call dysfunctional as opposed to functional. When you do behavior that's functional, 
it can be helpful. It can be beneficial or at least not unhelpful (laughs) or hurtful to you or others or just unhealthy in a general sense. So maybe you tuned in and uh, changed some of your behavior based on what I talk about on this show and now your life is going through that yin-yang process. Some behavior works, some behavior doesn't. You try to emphasize the behavior that works and try to minimize the behavior that doesn't and eventually the behavior that doesn't work, the quote, bad for you behavior, doesn't become prevalent in your life anymore, giving you results that you don't want. Because that's my goal. My goal is to get results that I want in life. My goal is to create the life I want. My goal for you is to get the results that you want in your life and create the life you want. I mean, they're probably redundant you know, very similar sounding statements. But that's what I think about. It's like, am I getting the outcome I want? Am I getting the results that I want? And that's a great test for you. You can actually test if your personal growth, your mental and emotional evolution, uh, you can test how much it's progressed by looking at your results. Like I heard a uh, personal growth speaker say, I can tell where you are in your level of personal growth and development by looking at your checkbook. (laughs) So the idea is to look at what you spend the most money on and where you spend it and so on and so forth. You know, that can work either way. I mean, if you looked at my checkbook, you might see, oh, he spent $200 on music gear the other day. (laughs) What does that say about him? Well, he's supporting his creativity, perhaps. He's supporting his uh, recreational side. But he also spent several hundred, <laughs> several hundred or more on website hosting and uh, online programs and other things that contribute to his business. And then you'll see that I spent money on groceries and you'll see I spend money on going out to eat or other recreational, what I consider recreational activities. But how much money did I spend on washing my car? You can look at that as a recreational thing or something else. Somebody might look at that and say, you shouldn't be spending money on that. Regardless, I I don't think that's always a good gauge of what you spend your money on because you may have plenty of money to spend. (laughs) But if you're the type of person that has very little money and a financial guy were to look at your checkbook and see that you spent $300 on uh, movies this month and they might give you advice not to do that (laughs) and do something else. But I'm not here to talk about money or checkbooks. I'm actually using that analogy in a way to help you look at the results that you've gotten over the past month or year or 10 years and make a determination if you're going in the right direction. Because if you keep getting results that you don't want, for example, you keep ending up with people that are uh, toxic to you, or make you feel bad about yourself, make you feel guilty, then your behavior has a lot to do with that. We can point the finger at someone else and say, they're toxic. But in order for them to be in your life, you must have to do behavior for it to happen. Yes, there are circumstances where you end up with someone because of a chain of events that occurred and suddenly are together. Um, But they're still the factor of your behavior. And your behavior, 
is your responsibility. So in order to get different results so different people end up in your life, healthier people, you have to look at your behavior. I think we're so used to pointing the finger at someone else saying they're the bad guy or they're the problem woman. You know, I'm gender equality here. They're the, they're the bad man. They're the bad woman. They're a problem. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in this situation. So on and so forth. We can do a lot of blaming in our life. I call those the uh, professional victims. It's almost like they get paid to complain. <laughs> Give me a situation and I'll complain about it. But I won't complain about my contribution to that situation. Because I did nothing wrong. And when you go around thinking that you are not to blame for anything and everyone else is, you end up in a very disempowered place. You basically say, I have no control over anything in my life and I just wait for things to happen to me and I hope everything that happens to me is good for me. When you go around in your life waiting for good things to happen to you, you're going to get a mixed bag. <laughs> you're going to get a potpourri and you basically take what you get. It's going to be handed to you. Someone's going to compliment your outfit and then the next day, that same person could slap you across the face. I'm not saying that you can avoid all these situations, but what you can do is start filtering your life in a way that encourages healthy people to, be, to want to be around you and unhealthy people to not want to be around you. How do you do that? You do that by honoring who you are and being that person around them. Because I can almost guarantee, if you're listening to a show like this, that you don't want to be around unhealthy people. That you don't want to be around people that make you feel bad or feel guilty about feeling good. <laughs> or feel you don't want to feel unhappy. You don't want to feel any of this negative stuff. So you seek answers from shows, from books, from videos, from people, therapy, coaching, everything. You seek answers so that you can have a better life. And I'm here to say that the people in your life didn't always just show up. Some did. Some of those people are our parents that uh, created a bad environment for us. They could have created a very unhealthy environment for us. Some of those people are our sisters and brothers. Some of those people are other family members. Some of those people are friends, lovers, so on and so forth. We get into situations because a chain of events led us into those situations. With family, it's a little harder to control. You're born into it, and now you got to deal with it until you're old enough to go, hey, I'm going to make my own decision and get away from these toxic people or further enhance the relationship with these good people, depending on how you feel about your family and how you get along with them and such. But some people we do have control over. But what ends up happening is that our behavior before we ever meet the unhealthy people is what causes those unhealthy people to uh, gravitate toward us. This is when you start to look at your life and go, wait, what did I do that led me to this place in my life? Because I've heard from people that have been married 30 plus years to someone they hate. 
I talk about my mom. <laughs> my mom has hated my stepfather for that period of time and longer. She was married to someone she hated for that long. And she felt stuck. She felt scared to leave. She didn't know any other life. Her entire adult life was spent with him. And all she did was complain about him, but never decided to go, hmm, how am I responsible for this situation? It's not that I'm blaming her or pushing her to do anything that she doesn't want to do. I mean, there's a divorce now, so it's not a, uh, as big of a deal anymore. But for the longest time, 40 plus years, they were together and she hated every minute of it, or at least from the time I was born, I could see that she hated every minute of being with him. But I never saw her go inward and say, you know what? This is what I did to keep a toxic person in my life. This is what I'm doing to keep a toxic person in my life. Because I'm sure when they first met, she didn't really see him as toxic. Usually when our first impression is, is someone's toxic or bad for us or just a problem in some way, we tend to stay away from them. So I have a feeling that when they first met, nice guy, uh, she got to know him and everything seemed great. They got closer. One of them fell in love. I don't know if my mom ever did. Maybe she did. Uh, but there was a connection for sure. And then she finds out that um, he's an excessive drinker and he's an emotional abuser and eventually a physical abuser. And all this stuff starts to reveal itself after she got sucked into the relationship. So it's harder to get out once your heart is locked in. And it's also harder to get out when you're with someone who abuses because you're afraid to leave. Because what's going to happen if I leave? I'm, I'm better off staying with someone knowing what the abuse is instead of leaving and not knowing what the abuse will be to come. There's some misperceptions there. But for some people, it's a reality. Some people, that could happen. Some people do believe that their life would be worse if they left or their kid's life would be worse or, or something like that. But the whole point is, I had never seen my mom go inward and say, what am I doing today that is keeping this person in my life? Because she always had the finger pointed at him. His fault. He should leave the house. He should get the divorce because I'm the one suffering. I'm the victim. I shouldn't have to do anything. He's the one causing me pain. When you don't do anything, you get a potpourri. You get whatever is handed to you, and you have to take it. I mean, I suppose you could take the good and leave the bad, but I don't know how you get out of the bad when you're in the bad, and if you don't do anything about it, then nothing will ever happen. Then what do you do? <laughs> so she decided to just take it the whole time until one day... He finally left. Now he's gone. And I've told this story before, but after a couple months of him being gone, she had an epiphany. <laughs> she said, why didn't I do anything sooner? Why did I wait for him to leave? Because now she's in her 70s. She spent her whole life with someone she hated because she chose not to leave. And when you're in the situation, you don't realize a lot of the times that you have a choice. You don't realize you have a choice. You think that the choice to leave or the choice to get help or the choice to find a support system 
you, you don't think it's there. You don't think it is a choice. You just think you have no choice until you're separated from the person long enough so that you have a realization because when they're around, your mind is clouded, it's influenced, but when they're not around, that cloudiness clears up and that influence goes away, at least minimizes. And then suddenly you're thinking things that you never thought before. That's why I always encourage a separation, you know, even a minimal separation where one person goes away for a few weeks or a couple weeks or at least a week so that they can think on their own without anyone else influencing them, especially a toxic person. When you can think on your own without a toxic person influencing you, you have different thoughts. You really do. So if you're in a relationship with someone who is toxic to you, you need to take action if you want to get in a better situation. That doesn't mean I'm not telling you that you have to leave the relationship. I'm not telling you that you have to get a divorce. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that you need to take responsibility for yourself if you expect anything to happen. Because usually the other person, the one who might be in control, dysfunctionally speaking, in control of the relationship of you, isn't going to give you that opportunity. They're usually not going to say, you know what, you need to take a break from me. I realize how dysfunctional and toxic I am. You should probably go on vacation. They won't. So that's why it's so important for you to take responsibility for yourself and take account for your life and take responsibility for your role in bringing this person into your life. I mean, if you're in this type of relationship and what you're still doing today to keep the toxic element alive. And that could be a number of things. It's a big subject to talk about. But let me rewind a little bit and talk about um, the checkbook analogy. You know, you can tell what results you're getting in life by what you're spending your money on. That was one of the uh, speaker's comments that I thought was interesting. I liken that to uh, you can tell how your life is going when you tally up the positive results that you've gotten, the outcomes that you wanted, and they actually came to fruition. I think when you get more good outcomes than bad, then you're on a good path, you're on a good trend, because not all outcomes are good, but the more they are, the more you realize that your life is probably going in the right direction, which means you're probably doing behavior that is good for you, that is beneficial. So if you ever think, what's wrong with me? What am I doing that's causing all these problems in my life? You're half right, <laughs> because you are half responsible for what happens in your life. The other half is circumstance. The other half is other people. The other half is, are things that you can't control, and they just show up. Somebody smacks into your car. They, it just came out of nowhere. Yes, you could look at it as, well, if you weren't in that lane, you wouldn't have gotten to a car accident. <laughs> but then you tell me, yeah, but I couldn't have predicted that that car was going to pull out, so there's no way that's my responsibility. And then uh, some Buddhist master would say, yes, but if you weren't there, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so you can chew on that for a little while if you want, or you can be one of those naysayers and say, I don't believe that. Of course, if I wasn't there, it wouldn't have happened, but it was still his fault. And then the Buddhist master would say, yes, it was his fault, 
but it was your responsibility to react, to respond, to be more aware, to be more observant. Yeah, but he came out of nowhere. But you were still responsible for driving that day, for driving your car, for being in that lane. What? That doesn't make any sense. He came out of nowhere. You can have that argument if you want. You can create that argument in your mind. And again, that puts you in a place of less empowerment. So I'm not here to say that you're fully responsible for everything. But I will say this. When you take responsibility for your role in things, for your involvement in things, even when nothing is your fault, when you take responsibility for existing in a situation, then you have some level of control in your life. That's like if I told my mom 20 years ago. I didn't tell her this, but um, if she were open to it and I said, if you take responsibility for your role in this dysfunctional marriage, what do you think you would do differently today? It would be interesting what she answered. She would probably say something empowering. I don't know. Or she may have fallen back into that, there's nothing I can do, victim state. And I'm not saying one's right over another. I'm saying that when you take responsibility for your existence in this plane of space and time, that it gives you some level of control in your life, allowing you to take action, to take responsibility for what happens to you today, tomorrow, next week, next year. And that is empowering, or at least the first step toward empowerment. So I started off by saying this is episode number 200. And in reality, it's actually episode 0200. Because if you know computers, you realize for the past, I don't know, 30 plus years, if you typed in 1, 2, 3, all the way down to 9, and then you typed in 10, guess what happens to the list? It goes 1, <laughs> and then 10, and then 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, because 10 starts with a 1, and the computer can't tell the difference when it looks at a sequential order. Blah, blah, blah. I could probably explain to you, but I think you understand. That's why I started with 0001. <laughs> but at least I'm prepared for the next ice age when computers start all over again. Perhaps. <laughs> we'll see. But um, maybe we can store all this uh, cloud data in a satellite somewhere so that if and when, I should probably say when, the Earth experiences some sort of cosmic cataclysm or whatever, that all our data will be in some satellite or many satellites out there so that in another, who knows, billions of years, somebody finds all this data, learns to interpret it, and starts listening to episode 0001 of The Overwhelmed Brain. And because I prepared in advance, it won't go 0010, it'll go 0002. And hopefully whoever turns on the show, The Overwhelmed Brain, and starts learning about all this emotional intelligence stuff and this guy named Paul Coliani who experienced all this dysfunction in his life, <laughs> then they can listen to the show in sequential order and see an upward trend in progression and positivity and learning and healing and growing and evolving, just like I want for you, that upward trend. So welcome to episode 0200. We'll be right back.
You ever see the movie Twilight? You know, with all the vampires and werewolves and that entangled love story? (laughs) I have something to admit. I love that series. I don't know why, but I love it. I don't know if it's the gorgeous scenery or the idea that there are vampires that really don't want to hurt people or that each character has a superpower. Oh, well, that might be part of it. But seriously, I love action and sci-fi, but Twilight? I watch it like a kid glued to a cartoon. I can't get enough of it. Now, I share this with you because it's refreshingly honest. Honest Tea encouraged me to share something refreshingly honest, and that's what I came up with. I never admitted that I loved Twilight on the air, so there. Now you know something about me that gives you a little bit of insight into my personality. Hopefully not a lot of insight. (laughs) Honest Tea really is refreshingly honest. In fact, they have a little project going on right now called the Refreshingly Honest Project. They're encouraging honesty. They want you to share lighthearted truths such as the one I shared today with the people in your life. They also want you to know that Honest Tea is all about honesty and transparency. From the way their ingredients are presented to their efforts to make the earth a better place. Take a sip and taste the honest difference. I want you to try it for yourself and perhaps share a laugh and a bottle of Honest Tea with someone you appreciate. Or perhaps someone you barely know. Try that. (laughs) I'm joining Honest Tea in celebrating the lighthearted ways that we're less than perfect through the Refreshingly Honest Project. My refreshingly honest moment is sharing with you that I like what, I don't know, some people might call a chick flick. There, I said it, a chick flick. (laughs) I hope that term isn't offensive. I haven't looked up the uh, etiquette on saying chick. But (laughs) there's my honesty. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not into all vampire werewolf romance stories. Just that one. And, well, maybe one other, but I'll save that for another day. If you want more honesty... Learn more by visiting honesttea.com forward slash podcast. Hey, this show has been promoting authenticity and honesty since day one, so we're right in alignment with them. Honesttea.com forward slash podcast. Honest Tea, refreshingly honest. All right, welcome back. I'm going to read you a quick message from myself. (laughs) This is actually from my newsletter, and uh, someone responded to one of my newsletters with an email. But I'm going to read you the newsletter first, and then read her response to the newsletter, and then give you the most practical piece of advice that you can get anywhere. I know, why tune in for that? (laughs) Well, the newsletter itself has some personal growth um, insights in it, and that'll help. And then you'll hear this person's plight, and you might be able to relate to it in some way. It's about relationships. A lot of uh, the emails I get, probably 99% of them, are about relationships. And um, if you're not in a relationship, you will be, (laughs) or you have been. If you're not in a romantic relationship or never have been, you still have relationships in your life. So, yes, there are people that listen to this show that aren't in a relationship and don't think they can resonate with some of the messages I read on the air or some of the teachings that I teach. But really, 
life is about relationships. Life is all about relating to other people. So even if it doesn't apply to a romantic relationship, it still applies. The stuff I talk about here still applies to any relationship in in most cases. Some things have to do with intimacy and sex and things like that. But for the most part, I'm talking about the idea of relationships in general. Family, friends, lovers, husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, all of the above. Anyway, that's just a primer for everything I ever talk about on this show. Even a relationship with yourself. And I think a lot of people might miss that uh, thought because sometimes you think it's a relationship with someone else. Having a healthy relationship with yourself is also very important, if not the most important thing. What do I mean by that? If you don't know, uh, let's just say that I tell you to honor your boundaries and don't let people cross the line with you. Let's just say I said something like that. I don't think I would ever use those. No, I might use those terms, but let's just say I said that to you and you go, well, how does that apply to myself? Well, I can tell you it applies to yourself when you go, I have certain values in my life, certain beliefs in my life, and in order to uphold them and stay in alignment with myself, then I shall not cross my own line. So there's an idea of how you can apply concepts of when I talk about relationships with other people to yourself. I don't know if it'll apply in every single example I use, but there's one example. So for those of you out there that are um, alone, single, want to be in a relationship or not want to or have been in relationships, most of what I talk about goes across the board in almost every circumstance. Almost. (laughs) So let me get right to it and read you one of my newsletters. This went out. If you're on my subscribers list, it uh, you got this on June 14th of this year, 2017. So you're going to recognize this. If you're not, then this is one example of what I might write in a newsletter. It says, hello, and it'll usually put your name in there. <laughs> hello, Paul. And um, this says, how are things? Hope you're having a good day so far. I always start off my newsletters nicely. <laughs> my marriage ended a few years ago. It was painful, but it was right for the both of us. I didn't want the divorce, but in hindsight, I needed it. One of the most important lessons I learned in my marriage was the value in being honest and clear. She was very clear the day she wanted the divorce, and there was no denying her honesty. Even though it was one of the worst days of my life, I look back and think that even in that moment, she respected me enough to tell me the hard truth that she wanted a divorce. I also look back and like to believe that had we not practiced providing a safe environment for each other to share anything, the end would have been a lot more difficult. Throughout our relationship, she allowed me to express myself, and I allowed her to express herself. We would turn off our judgments and let the other person speak their mind, no matter how hard the truth was to hear sometimes. That wasn't always easy or successful, but we tried. The point is, we practice this often. And this practice is what led to clarity and honesty in our communication, even on the day she asked for a divorce. 
Had we not practiced allowing each other to express ourselves throughout the years, that day may have gone a lot differently. There was a mutual respect and safe space that we gave to each other, even at the end. How you respond to truth will dictate how people treat you. It's an unfortunate fact in a double-edged sword. Sometimes you tell a truth, you get upset, you yell at the person, or worse. Then, next time they have an option to express to you, they choose not to, or they lie instead, because they believe you're not safe. We actually set ourselves up to be lied to. How you respond to truth is how you'll be treated in the future. If you get upset every time someone lies to you, ask yourself if you ever created a safe environment for them to share things with you. The less safe the environment, the less chance you'll hear the truth. That doesn't make you wrong and the liar right. I mean, a lie or betrayal is still a lie or a betrayal. Just because someone doesn't feel safe to express a truth to you doesn't mean you get all the blame they still have a responsibility to be clear and honest themselves. When they choose not to be clear and honest, it's still bad behavior. You do have a responsibility to make the safest environment you can for people to share things with you. When you don't create that safe zone, you're likely to get behavior that you don't want from people you love. There was a time when my wife was trying to figure things out and wasn't very clear with me. She wasn't dishonest. She just couldn't convey what was happening to her. That's because she wasn't sure herself. I went through this quite a bit too. But when she became sure, she followed through and expressed herself to me. Her clarity and honesty allowed both of us to move on sooner and heal faster. That's what honesty and clarity does. It moves things along much faster. You might have to hit the precipice of emotional pain when you're truthful, but sometimes it's the only way to get past it and move on. So I um, said, enjoy Sunday's episode, and then I um, signed off on the email. And someone responded to the email and said, "Uh, I'm not sure if this is an email I can respond to, and I'm here to say yes, it is. (laughs) But this is what I was just going through. But my ex wouldn't tell me the truth about why she was leaving me. And she wasn't clear whether or not we were going on a break or if she was leaving me and she was talking about us getting back together in the future. It was confusing for me. She was leaving to work on herself and now she is with someone else. And I'm so frustrated by that. Because I wish it was me that she was with while working on herself. I feel like that is selfish of me. I just want to not feel angry when I see posts on social media of them being together or when I think about them being together because it upsets me and it frustrates me. And that's all this person wrote. So I get this completely. I mean, when I go through a breakup, I've been through a few, (laughs) and seeing, uh, especially nowadays, seeing the person that I was with on social media having a good time, uh, in love with someone else, or at least uh, dating, partying, enjoying herself, with other people. And I look at that and go, oh, I'm not with her. Oh, that hurts. Oh, and then you feel all these feelings that come in. They they rush in and you're like, what do I do with this? I'm angry and I'm sad and I'm lonely and I don't know what to do with these feelings. Well, 
here's my very practical and way overused, way overheard advice. Time heals. I know it's, (laughs) I'm not used to giving such basic advice on this show. I actually like to do something a little different, like think of the worst case scenario. Think of something even worse than that. And I like to take you down different paths. But this time, I just want to say that time is sometimes the only thing that helps desensitize you. It starts uh, breaking neural connections and associations so that the triggers become less and less powerful in your body, in your mind. On the day after you have a breakup, it's like the worst ever. The day after that, it's still the worst ever. The week after that, you've calmed a bit, but it's still terrible. The month after that, you've calmed a bit more. It still sucks and it might still be terrible, but it's not as powerful as it was. And then maybe three months after that, you could be over it. You could still have residual. You could still feel sad. You can still feel lonely. You can still have all these other feelings. But was it the same as it was the day after? And Let me tell you the reason I'm giving you this very ordinary practical advice is because we can tend to make some very uh, major life decisions in the worst moments of our life. And we don't have to do that. I mean, some people get so hurt and feel so much pain on the day after, on the week after, on the month after. And it it just feels like it's never going away. And so they make major life decisions. And I'm talking about life or death decisions sometimes. Sometimes we think about, I just want to kill myself because it hurts so bad. Yet a month later, it doesn't hurt as bad. And this is why it's so important to really have this message sink in. Is that, yes, it's going to feel like the worst pain ever on day one, on day two, on day five, even on day 30. But the pain lessens, and you have to look at that trend. I always talk about trends on this show. What is the trend? Is the trend that the pain you felt on day two is just as intense, if not more intense, on day 30? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it the same? Because most of the time, it's not the same. It's always different. Because the shock can't last. You know how your body goes into shock? Shock doesn't last. It eventually wears off. Especially emotional shock. When you have a shock to your system, it has to wear off. And we have to give it a chance to wear off. Because what happens is we could try all the personal growth and development tools that we've ever been taught. Yet now there's a shock to our system and we can't access any of them. Or we try them and it doesn't help. It's because we're going through some sort of maybe grieving stage and being in shock at the same time doesn't help us think straight. So we think the worst and it's only going to get worse from here. It's like we have these very limited thought processes that happen while we're in shock. We can't see the good through the bad. 
we can only see the bad and only believe it's going to get worse. And uh, the person who responded to this letter did so on June 14th, uh, was the same day I uh, sent it out. So this was, you know, as of this recording, a month and a half ago. So I can almost guarantee that this person feels a little bit different today than they did a month and a half ago. You know, life still may be hard. This person may still be lonely. This person may still have pain associated with it. But imagine what it was like on day two after the breakup. Imagine what it was like when you saw them on social media with other people. And then compare that to now. It can still hurt, but is the impact as powerful? Most of the time it is not. And I want you to think of that trend. Even if you were 99% in hurt, in pain, just being at 98% a month later is still momentum. It's usually a lot more. It usually goes like big jumps, like 5%, 10%, or even bigger. In fact, um, the person who inspired the last uh, segment of this show, hey, Tyler, <laughs> she, I hope she's okay, I just said her name. She said um, she was experiencing quite the loss when she had a breakup. But I talked to her today and she's a different person. She's an entirely different person. She knows she still has stuff to work on, but to think of the breakup, when I ask her about it, she's in an entirely different space with it. There was a space she was in before that was devastated, hurt. My life is ruined, and I'm putting words in her mouth. I don't think she actually said that. <laughs> but it feels that way. I mean, you have all these feelings that come up. And today, two or three months later, she's not in that space because the trend kept moving, like I talked about in the last segment. The trend kept moving in a positive direction. It may have been in tiny increments, but that trend you have to pay attention to. That's why I say time heals. Time means that yesterday hurt. Today hurts. Tomorrow will hurt. But next week, it won't hurt as much. I'm not saying it goes away right away, but it won't hurt as much. Something shifts. It's a desensitization process, and it's also a sort of a rewriting process because as you experience each new day, some of the pain gets written over with some other things in life, some good things in life. It may be subtle. You may not notice it. But what happens three months from that period, six months from that period, three years from that period, is you look back and you realize where you were and where you are today. And every now and then I'll get an email from someone who says, I am in the middle of this shocking event in my life. I just lost someone. Someone left me. Someone cheated on me. Someone died. And I read each one with compassion, with heart and respect. And I also realize that you are in the middle of it. And right now you are in shock. You are going to have to go through this. That's bad news. I mean, I don't want to go through this shock and grieving and devastation. But you have to go through it so that you can get to the other side of it. It doesn't mean I want you to go through it. I mean, I don't want that for you. But going through it helps rebuild you too. It really is like a combination of a breakdown and a breakthrough. 
although you don't recognize the breakthrough until much later when you can reflect on your life and uh, things are going halfway decent or great and you can look back and go, you know, when that person left me three years ago, if they hadn't left me, then this, this, and this wouldn't have happened. Of course, you know, you could also look at it as if this person hadn't left, then I wouldn't have had such bad luck after that. Or all this crappy stuff wouldn't have happened. And that happens too. All this terrible stuff can happen when someone leaves our life because we haven't set ourselves up to be in a space where we can survive uh, independently. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm not saying you have to do that because we expect relationships to last. But sometimes we aren't completely uh, emotionally prepared. I mean, I think that's more than anything more important than a lot of stuff, than a lot of um, what we might consider responsibilities. Like, oh, who's going to pay the bills now? I'm so used to that person paying the bills, and here I am stuck with all the bills. I think if we're emotionally prepared, uh, that's not as uh, much of a burden as it could be. It still could be a very big burden because you could have a lot of bills. It could be a lot of money, and now you got to establish contacts and figure out who to pay and what to pay. There might be that in your life. There might be things like that in your life. But the idea is to realize that you will have a learning curve after some sort of devastating thing that happens in your life. The learning curve, the rebuilding, everything just seems to happen at once. You're hurt. Your life is changing. Your daily processes are changing. You now have to get up at a different time or now it's your responsibility to take care of the kids if you have them or now it's your responsibility to whatever. Take care of things that you didn't take care of before. You have to figure all this out. So there's a lot that suddenly is on your shoulders. This can happen. Is that the person that you were with helped you take care of things or took care of them completely. So that's scary too. Everything happens at once and it is part of the process. And time does heal. That means what you didn't know yesterday, you know today. And that's just a metaphor. It could be what you didn't know yesterday, you know in a month or six months or whatever. But you'll get through it. You always get through it. You're still here. You're listening now. You've gotten through things and you'll continue to get through things. Yes, this is sort of a motivational segment. (laughs) But I want you to be motivated because life can happen and it can be hard People leave us, people die, people cheat, like I started to say earlier. And the pain can be devastating. But devastation is part of shock, is something that doesn't last. Just doesn't. So I want you to walk away with time heals. Because tomorrow is different than today. Don't make decisions when you're in the middle of devastation unless you absolutely have to. If there's a major decision that needs to be made... Then you got to pull it together, make the decision, and then go back to grieving. I mean, you might have to do that. But you will get through this. I think I actually said that in the newsletter I sent out a few days ago. You will get through this. So I'm going to go to the next segment, uh, read you another email. And um, our show might run a little long today, but, uh, you know, you can always pause, come back to it. (laughs) Be right back.
Welcome back. We're almost ready to wrap up the show, but I want to read you probably one of the shortest emails I've ever received. (laughs) They usually don't come this short, but uh, I'll take advantage of this little short moment to read it to you. Not that it's going to be a really short answer, but we'll see. Uh, The uh, email says, do you have a podcast on living with someone who is ADD is so bad that you're never thought of or talked to? They only focus on work, spending hours doing so, and doesn't know how to be intimate. It makes my body sick, and I'm always sad around him. All right, I'm going to call you uh, Jennifer. And um, Jennifer, let me start off by thanking you for sharing this with me. This is definitely an issue in some relationships. In fact, I can relate to this directly. (laughs) I can relate to this so well, because when I met my girlfriend, I didn't necessarily know just how much of a uh, workaholic she was, which is funny because I've always sought out workaholics. I always wanted someone who worked a lot in my life. I just thought, you know, that was a good way to uh, show that you're a go-getter and you want to move forward with your life and you always want to progress. But now that I live with one, (laughs) it's a little different um, and I had to get used to it. And I also had to not only adjust a little differently because I'm kind of an emotionally needy person, maybe like yourself. And I don't mean needy as in desperate. I mean as in, hey, it would be nice to hear I love you every now and then. It would be nice to get a wink or... Uh, you know, um, uh, at least eye contact every now and then. And this depends on whether your partner works outside the home or inside the home. So if they're working outside the home and they're never home, this is a bigger problem. For me, my girlfriend works in the home, or at least she has for the past several months now because of foot surgery. But even though she's here, she's not here. (laughs) most of the time. I'm laughing about it because I've actually figured out how to work with this, how to live with someone who, I mean, she claims she has ADD. I think it's an excuse, even though, yes, it could be real and, and she could have it. But if I see it as ADD, then I feel like, oh, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to have to submit and this is who she is. And then I have to live with it. And am I happy about that? And there's places that I go that I don't like if I just submit to the fact that she has ADD and there's nothing she can do about it. So here's, here's what I'll do uh, for you. I'll share with you what I did in our relationship that has helped it tremendously. So when I moved in, um, the first couple months were like no work. <laughs> we just were like in fantasy. It was the honeymoon phase, as people call it. And then, you know, real life sets in and You got to make money, you got to pay the bills, you got to get back to life. And so that's what we did. And um, I realized very soon that she constantly stays busy, constantly. And I'm like, what is this? It's constant staying busy. I can look back at my mom and see when she constantly stayed busy is because she never wanted to deal with any of her repressed emotions. I'm making assumptions here, but I can look at my mom and see that every time she starts talking about something negative, she finds something to do. She wants to keep herself busy. She'll talk about other things. She'll redirect. She'll change the subject. 
just so she doesn't have to deal with all these negative emotions that she has, which is fine. Okay, great. But um, when you have a partner that wants to stay busy for whatever reason uh, and you are being neglected, that can be painful. That can hurt. Like you said, it makes your body sick and you're always sad. So here is my suggestion, my advice, my opinion, because I'm not an ADD expert. If he really does have ADD, yes, that's a characteristic that you will have to accept about him. I have personally chosen not to accept that about my girlfriend, (laughs) even though it might be 100% true because of the way I feel about it. Because if she's ADD, then how am I ever going to get my needs met? She's always off somewhere else doing something else. So let me get straight to it. What I decided to do is that if I wanted her time, I would start doing things for her where she had to stop working in order to take advantage of them. For example, I would make a meal and say, hey, let's eat. And she would have to stop working to eat. And in that moment, we could connect. And sometimes we would talk about what she was doing at work, and sometimes we would just connect or have some mundane but connecting conversation. And then she would go back to work, and I would have my little fill, my little emotional fill, and then I could go another several hours. Great. So on top of that, I would also plan to do things outside the home because I'm assuming that you can see him working. He might be working like all the time, even when he's home or when he comes home, he's always working. So what you might need to start doing is, which is, which is what I started doing is planning things out and saying, Hey, Tuesday night, I've got tickets for this, or we're going out to eat, or we're doing this. And you just set it up. You don't, really ask for permission. You just set it up. So this is an experiment. (laughs) This is something I want you to try. Just set it up and say, hey, we're going here Tuesday night. Because uh, my experience with my girlfriend is that she loves when other people plan things for her because her mind is already frazzled. (laughs) Her mind is already overwhelmed and like totally wrapped up in so many other things that she loves having me to Again, cook some meals and uh, plan things out. I don't do it all the time. I cook a lot, but I don't do everything else all the time. But um, I'm also working a lot as well. You know, this whole the overwhelmed brain thing (laughs) could take a lot of time. But the idea is just to start being some sort of, I hate to say it, event planner for your relationship. Hey, we're going to go do this. Hey, we're going to have dinner with friends this night. And see how that goes over. You're either going to get a, oh, I just don't have time for that. I, I, don't, I can't deal with that right now. Or he's going to say, oh, you did that? Great. Let's, let's get together with them. That sounds nice. That sounds like a break from work. Because unless he loves his job, he probably feels like he's obligated to do everything he's doing. Or it could be both. He could love it and feel obligated. But working all the time with no balance It wears on a person, even a person who loves their work. It will eventually wear on them. They want balance, but they think they can never get enough done. So they keep working and they keep working. He might think that he could never get enough done. He'll never finish. 
So you got to keep doing it. Keep being two steps behind instead of five steps behind. He's always trying to catch up or keep up, which is why you have to kind of force these uh, planned events on him. Uh, so there's one or two things there. Another thing is I go up to my girlfriend and I rub her back. Sometimes she acknowledges it most of the time. Sometimes she doesn't because she's so laser focused on what she's doing. But I guarantee you she appreciates it. Now what this doesn't do is immediate reciprocation. And this is something that you might have to live with, with an ADD person or with someone who has trouble uh, giving you the attention that you want and deserve. The idea that you won't get immediate or maybe any reciprocation for the times that you show an emotional connection. This happens in my relationship. Sometimes I'll show very bonding emotional connection and she'll appreciate it at that moment, but it doesn't happen as often to me in reverse because she's always busy. <laughs> she always has something to do. But what you do is take advantage of the emotional connection that you create. You have to sometimes open the door to create an emotional connection. And it may seem one-sided, but it's almost always appreciated and valued. It may not be reciprocated in the way you want, but there is some value in you creating those emotional connections. That doesn't mean that you should always be the one that initiates only because you should expect some back. You should expect an emotional connection back to you from him. So there's that. Now let me give you a final suggestion that is more powerful and definitely potent and effective. <laughs> and it may involve you creating accountability. And this is very similar to stuff I talk about with uh, emotionally abusive relationships, but in a different sense, accountability in a way of, hey, I have needs too. If you can't fulfill those needs, I'll get them met somewhere else. Now, before you jump to conclusions there, it's not what you think. What I mean is when you have these planned events that you're creating and he decides not to go, then you bring up, hey, it really hurts that you don't want to spend time with me. I understand that you have a lot to do, but it hurts that you don't want to spend time with me. I mean, why am I here? This is starting the accountability route. This means that, hey, if you don't spend time with me, then why do I bother hanging around? There is an implied threat. It's not really a threat. It's a fact. <laughs> why do I bother hanging around if you don't want to spend any time with me? Yes, you have 15 hours of work to do. And if the world were to end tomorrow, could you look at yesterday and go, I'm so glad I did those 15 hours of work instead of spending the five minutes of quality bonding time with you that I should have. I mean, that could be something you say to him or not. But the idea is to start being more serious if you want more of his time. It is to start reminding him how important your time together is. Because as he spends less and less time paying attention to you, you spend more time wondering what it's like to be without him. That might be something else you say to him. This might have to get more serious. You might have to communicate this message to him so that he understands 
what he has to lose. Because you're probably not going to change him. You're probably not going to change his workaholic attitude. In fact, I encourage you to encourage it. I say, hey, you got work to do? I totally understand. So the idea is to not put him down for being a workaholic or for having ADD, not putting down for any of that stuff, but to encourage it saying, hey, I understand. You know, you have a lot of work to do, a lot of responsibilities. I totally get it. I'm giving you all this free time. But when it's our time, you need to unplug. Otherwise, I'll feel like you don't want to be with me anymore. And if that's the case, then why am I here? So that might lead to a discussion. Now, if it leads to an angry discussion, like, you don't know what it's like, I have to pay the bills or whatever, then you'll know exactly where he stands. You may not like it, it may hurt, but now you really have to start considering what you want in your life. Because I guarantee you, as you get closer and closer to the idea of leaving, you're going to see his true colors. He may break down and go, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Please stay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. You're right, I'm working so much. Because what do you work for? I mean, what, is, what does somebody work for? Are you working to thrive yourself with no one else in your life? Or are you working so you'll have money to create a life for you and your partner, for you and your family? Because you, you shouldn't wait till retirement to enjoy your early years. <laughs> At least he shouldn't. Those early years are now. This is when you take a few minutes, just a few minutes, because that's sometimes all we need, right? Us slightly emotionally needy people. <laughs> sometimes we just need a few minutes of connection, of eye contact, of touching, of holding, of talking, of just, just a little bit of emotional connection so that we know that we are still important to you. I'm speaking for both of us, Jennifer. <laughs> I want to know that I am important in your life. So I might have to, and I'm going to go back to the first thing I mentioned, I might have to create moments that give you an opportunity to make me feel loved. I know it's weird, but let's just say that this personality characteristic, this quirk about him is never going to change, but everything else about him is wonderful. You might have to do some planning to create these moments for you. This is sometimes what I do. Now, fortunately, everything I've laid out here is what I've done in my relationship. She has learned to connect more. She has opened up. It's taken her a while. And she's still a workaholic. But she has learned to balance some of her life a bit more. So she has her own time along with our time. Because that's what a lot of uh, workaholics uh, try to get is their own time. It's like they work and work and work and work. And they finally, they're stop, they stop working and they go home and they just want some peace. They just want some time to themselves. But <laughs> they have a partner that hasn't seen them all day. And now the partner wants their time. And now it's hard for them to create, elicit any internal excitement about that. They just feel like, oh, now I have to give more of me to someone else. That's what happens. And they don't find enough me time. You know, one of the other things that I did with my girlfriend is I found ways to give herself her own time. 
And that has helped as well. I know she works all day and I don't get to see her at all. And now she's finally done working. I'll still leave her alone. I won't go snatch up that only me time that she has. I'll let her be in that me time. I'll encourage it. I'll sometimes uh, cook her a meal or tell her to sit outside and read a book or I'll try to encourage her me time and not make it about me, make it about her. So that's another little tidbit that you can take and do what you will with and see what happens. This is all experimental. (laughs) I've done all of this and it has worked to my advantage and it's still a work in progress. She still works a lot, but I do too. I take advantage of her working a lot so that I can get stuff done as well. The problem is if you don't have a lot to do and you live with a workaholic, then it can become quite uneven and you don't feel, it doesn't feel very uh, loving or connected or anything. She loves that I have a lot to do because she knows she has a lot to do. And all of her stuff is important. You know, I, I don't discount any of it. Just like I believe all of my stuff is important. So it is helpful that when you're a workaholic, your partner's also a workaholic so that uh, you can kind of relate to each other. But if you're not, again, just take my suggestions and try it out. See what happens. Thanks a lot for writing that, Jennifer. I wish you the best. And we'll be right back and close the show after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I'd like to thank Honest Tea. Visit honesttea.com forward slash podcast and find out all about their refreshingly honest campaign. It's a lot of fun and a great way to connect with people just like yourself who are working on trying to spread as much honesty as they can around the world. And I'd like to thank someone named Eric C. Standard for his review of The Overwhelmed Brain book in Amazon. I'd like to remind you, if you buy a book and leave a review on Amazon, even if it's a bad one, (laughs) I will thank you on the air. And you'll be heard in over, I don't know, 220 countries? Is that how much it's up to? Wow. Anyway, thank you, Eric. I appreciate your comments, and um, I'm honored. And if you'd like to get the book, it is the A to Z of self-empowerment. takes you through a place of, I don't know, not empowered to fully empowered. If you actually do the work, Yes, there's some work involved. (laughs) So I want you to check it out. Go to your favorite bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and sit down with it for a while. I think you'll really appreciate it. And I want to thank members of the Patron program for supporting this show. Not only are they supporting the show, but they're getting free episodes, the worksheets, and even email coaching. So it's just my way of giving back for them helping bring the show to you every week. If you'd like to be a patron, go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you'll see what's available. It's a big help to the show, and you get a lot of extras that you don't get here. Check it out, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And I'd like to end the show with a question from someone who wrote to me and said um, that she is criticized all the time by her mom. And uh, this woman says, you know, she has a husband and a daughter, and... Her mom bothers her more than ever, even though she lives far away. She says she's always criticizing, and I've never been good enough. 
I already have a big problem with self-worth and I thought I was pretty strong, but I'm afraid I'll be the same mother to my daughter as she is to me. That pain in me is very deep. And then she said, thank you for making the world a better place. Well, thank you. I'm going to call you um, Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. And I appreciate those words. And I get it. I know where you're at. When you have someone that's always criticizing you and uh, it's someone in your family and it's someone that's supposed to show up in your life as supportive and nurturing and loving and they don't, they show up in quite the opposite way, it can be hurtful. There is pain. So my answer to things like this is always start with your boundaries. Always start with the clarity of what you will accept and what you won't accept in your life or in your family's life. Always start with that in you first. Because once you are clear in what you'll accept and what you won't accept, now you have to bring that clarity to your conversations with your mom. This is the hard part. (laughs) This is the hard part for many people. Because I want you to be able to say, Hi, mom. And your mom to say, Hello, how are you? And for you to have a normal conversation from there. But what typically ends up happening with um, family members or friends or whoever, just like your mom, is they'll say, well, did you take care of that thing I told you to take care of? Or why do you let your husband talk to you like that? Or why do you let your kids do that? There's always some criticism about something that she perceives you're doing wrong. And so here is what I want you to do. I want you to say first and foremost, Mom, I would love for you to be loving and supportive and nurturing. Can we have a conversation like that? That's going to be hard to say if you've never said that to her. But if you really don't want to end up like your mom, I don't think you will because you're already aware that you don't like that quality. But let's just say that was your uh, qualifier. That if she continues and you continue to take it, that you'll end up like her. That's good incentive, isn't it? I don't want to end up like her. So what do you do? You go, mom, if we can't have a loving, supportive, nurturing mother-daughter conversation, then I'm going to hang up. I mean, think about that. That's empowering at the same time scary. (laughs) But if you can say that, or when you say that, I should say, you're going to establish a boundary. You're going to establish what you want in your conversations with your mom. Now, if she is the way I think she is, She's going to go, I'm always supportive of you. I just want the best for you. You just need to do this and you just need to do that and you need to get your life straight and this and this and this. Now, instead of listening to those words and listening to that response, which is all negative, you bring it right back to the very same thing you just said. Mom, I want a loving, supportive, nurturing conversation between a mother and a daughter. I won't tell you how to live your life and you don't have to tell me how to live my life. I'm an adult now. I can take care of myself and I'm going to make mistakes, which is fine. I'll learn as I go. Wow, you still need to do this if you're going to get anywhere in life. I mean, she's probably going to give you a ration and then you just bring it right back. Mom, I'm about to hang up. It's obvious you don't want to have a supportive, loving conversation with your daughter. So I'm going to hang up now and see where it goes. She'll either back off or continue to give a ration of crap. (laughs) But if she backs off, maybe that's the beginning of a new kind of relationship with her. The reason it's important to do this is twofold. 
One, because you need to show up as the person you want to be for the rest of your life. And that person is either going to submit to a criticizer, someone who shows love in a weird way, in a critical way, and doesn't really feel supportive or loving the way love should be, in my opinion. You can be that person, that person who submits, that person who feels sick, that person who can't change your mom no matter what you do, and it's always going to be a resistance and a struggle to you. You can be that person, or you can be the person that shows up and and says, no, this is how I want our relationship to be. If you can't meet me there, then we can't have a conversation. I'll call you next week, and we'll try to have a different conversation. But until you're there, I want a mom who's loving, non-judgmental, supportive, caring, knowing that I will make mistakes and I will learn from them as I go. Well, I just want you to learn before you make those mistakes. I mean, whatever she says, a criticizer is going to find a way to criticize and continue to criticize. But you always redirect. You, you got to stop listening to her words and thinking that they make sense because they don't. I mean, your brain will make you think they make sense and then you'll feel bad you'll feel guilty but you got to stop listening to her words and just bring it right back to let's have a loving conversation or no conversation at all this might be hard to do if you have connections if you have ties if your daughter loves to see her grandma this might be hard to do but boundaries must be established or you will never get out from under that critical judgmental mom's thumb and it will never end i mean she is not going to change so what you need to do is force her to comply with how you want the relationship to go it doesn't mean she'll change she might still have these critical thoughts and feel like telling you you know everything you're doing wrong but you don't want to hear that and if it comes out you just hang up i know hanging up on your mom (laughs) but right now she is toxic and you need to wean yourself off the toxicity. You need to remove that toxic element. I call that uh, relationship radiation. You're being irradiated by that toxic person in your life. So how do you get away from the radiation? You either eliminate the toxicity or get away from it. Eliminating the toxicity is being very clear that you won't allow it in your life. Getting away from it is just staying away from the person. Because sometimes people don't know how to not be toxic. They just stay toxic. And that might be the way you go, I hate to say. But you always do it with kindness and love. You don't get mad. You just say, I understand you have a lot of thoughts and feelings about how to run my life. But this is what I want in our relationship. I want a supportive, loving, nurturing, non-judgmental, and dare I say, unconditional love from you. You don't have to say those exact words, but you just be assertive. You just be clear. And that puts the ball in her court. She is now able to keep your relationship in a healthy way or not. If she chooses to cross the line and not abide by those rules, then she loses time with you. And that's very unfortunate, but sometimes that has to happen so that you don't get uh, radiated to death. So you don't get so sick that... You're getting a disease or, you know, who knows, kidney stones. Who, are, who knows what emotional turmoil creates in your system. 
it's my personal opinion. I do believe that emotional turmoil creates havoc in your system, and it can lead to disease. Just my opinion, <laughs> but I do believe it. Now, I did tell you this was twofold. Uh, one of the reasons is so you establish yourself as the person you want to be for the rest of your life, and the other reason is so you will show your daughter how to behave toward people who are critical. You'll show your daughter how to behave toward people who are disrespectful. You will show your daughter that it's not right to accept that kind of behavior from people. You'll show her that it's toxic. You'll show her that it's not good for you. You'll show her that it's unhealthy and that you should not stick around people who treat you that way. How you are behaving toward your mom will be what your daughter picks up. I'm not worried you're going to turn into your mom towards your daughter. I'm worried that your daughter will learn that it's okay to be treated the way you're being treated by your mom. That's what I'm worried about. So if you need any incentive, take that. <laughs> and I say that with love and support and nurturing for your soul and respect for where you are. And it may be hard to face your mom like that and stand up to her, but you do have a bigger picture here and what your daughter thinks is okay treatment from other people. There's your incentive. I hope that helps. So as you go into this new realm of showing up the way you want to be, instead of the way you're being treated now, just keep an open mind. This will allow you to step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.